This is Arriving, where we get present, talk taboos, and explore the spectrums of life. Thank you for being with us. And we're here. So I am Scott Martell Smith, and my guest today is Sam Blue- Sam Blumenthal, who is an intuitive eating coach and registered dietitian, and who is currently working in the kitchen at Uchi in Austin as well. So Sam, thank you for Welcome. arriving. Thank you for having me here. I'm happy to connect with you. I'm happy to share this space and just talk about things that probably are not really talked about. Yeah, that's like my favorite thing to do these days. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so first, just like to start uh, with checking in. Um, and the, the question I'd like to ask, I'll, I'll pose it to both of us, mm-hmm. is what has been motivating you lately? What a powerful question. You know, it's interesting that you ask because something I take a lot of pride in and something that I teach with my clients and guests in my cooking classes is really creating a moment of pause in our busy day to day to ask ourselves, how can I feel fulfilled? Mm. And what's really interesting is I think the question of what's motivating you and how you feel fulfilled are very much aligned with one another. Um, So this is actually something that I check in with frequently. Um, but just kind of viewing this from a different perspective, which I find to be quite beautiful that ultimately as humans, you know, we're in two different locations right now. You're in Arizona. I'm in Austin. Maybe we have different like vernacular or language to describe like a very similar experience that, um, we both prioritize. And so what is motivating me and how I feel fulfilled is continuing to evolve and not feel so comfortable and so, so stagnant. Mm. Um, you know, I think having a sense of pride in what our talents are and feeling comfortable and secure with that is so beautiful. And using that as a foundation for continuing to almost like create this web of like all these other possibilities that we can use our foundation as this really wonderful like grounding point to grow into. And so I've discovered the past, uh, I would, I don't know, let's see. I was originally an art major. So creativity is definitely Mm -hmm. something that has lived within me for so long as a competitive gymnast, as a dancer, as an improviser, um, doing voiceover work. It's all this element of creativity going to art school, but then transitioning in 2013 from art school to food science and human nutrition. I think it was very, um, it could feel very calculated and sciencey, but allowing my foundation of creativity to propel me into another direction, still with that foundation, but using food science creativity to then go towards cooking. Mm. And then through cooking is that I still see that that is a form of expression and art just using food. Now, as I take on my next chapter as an intuitive eating counselor, starting to feel creative and thought and starting to look about, look at not just what we eat, not just what we do, but our intentions behind 
why we make certain choices. Um, still, I feel stems from this idea of creativity. And so what is motivating me and how I feel fulfilled and a long way to answer that question um, is continuing to grow while leaping off of a foundation of my creativity. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. How about you? I mean, honestly, that's you know, what's motivating me lately. I do really like your point about like fulfillment and, and uh, if you don't know, Sam hosts a podcast called Fulfilled Not Full. Um, and so, and uh, you know, I can already see, I already, like, and from everything you, you just described, I, I understand like the angle, right, of the podcast, which is, which is really awesome. And it's, it's, in some ways, it's like, how, you know, how do we make meaning out of what we're doing? And, you know, you can do the same thing, but with a different mindset and have a completely different experience. And a hundred percent what and, you're, yeah. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. Um, through intuitive eating, it's really what I've discovered for myself. What it means to me is exactly what you had just mentioned that you could be doing the same thing, but how it makes you feel or like ultimately the outcome can look different. So for example, um, growing up, I, kind of developed a very unhealthy relationship with exercise, mm. going to the gym or working out solely to attain a certain aesthetic or a physique, ultimately really taking up less space, which I think is quite interesting. Mm. Um, like less physical space, you know, trying to make my body smaller and cultivating a more connected relationship with my mind, my body, my soul, my plate and movement. Um, that doesn't mean to forget exercising or to give up exercising because it has not my mind, my mindset and intention previously, I can see now without any kind of judgment, just kind of recognizing and feeling curious about that, um, did not serve me. And so today I choose to still move. I choose to still exercise in different ways, ways that really focus on treating my body as an, uh, as an instrument and Mm -hmm. not an so focusing on how it can move and not how it appears, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still exercising, I'm still moving, but it's taking that moment of pause and asking myself, like, what is my intention and how I can answer that or how we can answer that is by taking a moment to identify what our values are, not our goals. So if I value strength and if I value, um, being mindful and present, I know that being able to do that is moving my body at the start of the day, right. When I wake up. Now, maybe the pattern of movement and exercise looks similar in terms of when I choose to fit that in my day, but because my intention is coming from a value and not a goal of achieving a certain weight or achieving a certain size, that this really helpful and fulfilling activity that is movement can continue to serve me. It can continue to just be more sustainable and more of a connected experience instead of a very autopilot experience. So I guess I have a question for you. This is okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, how does this relate or does this relate to your experience in your evolution with your own movement? Because I understand that you have a very unique way of, um, connecting with your body and your mind through movement. And so I don't want to assume, but I can't imagine that's always the way that you've done it. Yeah, it's, it's been, 
uh, a whole journey <laughs> to, to get to where I'm at. I've, I've done a lot of different things. Um, man, there's, there's one little point that you, you said, which really, really hit me. Um, unfortunately, there's so much, <laughs> there's so, so many good things. I can't remember what the, the one piece was. So the, uh, in regards to like how I move now, so thinking uh, like some of the things that you said, talking about like this connectivity to your yeah. body and also treating your body like an instrument and yeah. you know, not, not an object. So th- the way that I now look at movement is, is I literally think about my body like an instrument. Like there are things, there are like new skills that I want to have. Um, and so I have to train them. And, and it's, so that way then I can put these different pieces together with rhythm, um, Mm -hmm. with strength, with different intensities to create, you know, nice, um, you know, patterning, patterning of movement. So, you know, I I bring everything back to like the gait cycle and standing and walking, running and throwing. So as, as humans, these are like the movements that really make us human and really differentiate us from uh, other other living creatures that that move you know being biped- bipedal standing on two feet um, and so by focusing on those movements and enhancing those it it's like this this dance with how I'm quote unquote meant to move Mm-hmm. you know, and, and we can, we can do so many different things and I, and I have, and I've, I've went from the whole, um, you know, I, I was, I was always a skinny kid. So I went to, when I got to college, I got into like the bro lifting, just like trying to get big. And then like, from there I got into to CrossFit. Cause that was like the, the hot things so I was doing that. And just like, you know, just a beat, you know, I think about it now, it's like beating my body up. Right. Just like, how much can I take? Based on uh, external forces, right? Like these are what you're feeling inspired and fueled by what you're seeing externally rather than what feels kind of more consistent and aligned mm-hmm. with what feels natural internally. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, you know, um, the, a lot of that, you know, the competitiveness of it, of with other people around you or even with yourself and, you know, the, t- the time on the clock, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, there, right, there's, there's a time and a place for that. Um, but it, it just, you know, it, it was a step, you know, I feel, and there's, there's different ways, mm-hmm. you know, that there's it, different things that trying to achieve and trying how I'm trying to live now. And so I, I got from CrossFit, I went to Olympic lifting. Um, mm-hmm. and so I was like, oh, cause I was always like looking for like the thing, right. Mm-hmm. Like the way <laughs> to do it. Um, it's interesting that the way there, there is no, the way, because we are all different, mm-hmm. what our body needs how our body feels good it is this spectrum of what movement can look like what fueling our body can look like what joy can look like what sadness what happiness what excitement can look like and i think it's very simple to get caught up when we are on autopilot and not feeling connected and present caught up in the next shiny new object and almost getting distracted. And in turn, that process of falling into those traps, um, kind of like the external hot new thing, again, Mm -hmm. whether it's a diet movement, um, even like a show that everyone's binging, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We start to erode trust within ourselves to really be able to say what provides me with fulfillment, what is truly motivating me in a way that serves me. 
like what I'm understanding and what I'm hearing is that bro lifting at the gym and, uh, maybe Olympic lifting, if I heard you correctly, ultimately hasn't served you because you, you have navigated and identified a form of movement that is serving you because Mm -hmm. it provides you with a more authentic representation of what it means to allow Scott's body to move well. And most importantly, feel good while doing it before you're doing it and after you're doing it. Yeah, that, that definitely. Like, there's two points I, I want to make here. Um, one of the big things that I, you know, I, I do now when I when I look at movement, and one thing I had to do to to get to where I'm at, where I'm at, is you know look at why I'm doing the things that I'm doing, and 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 think about it. And you know, a lot of it was like that external validation, um, mm-hmm. and and you know that ended up you know leading me down a path. I was I, I've always had knee pain. And then that lead me down a path of uh, where I tore my meniscus because I was trying to be David Goggins and I was running when it was sleeting outside uh, right. um, in a pair of shorts and barefoot, which I'm always barefoot. The barefoot part was not the weird part. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, that wasn't the weird part, um, but I tore my meniscus. And so then that's whenever as well, I really had to think about like, okay, clearly the things that I'm doing um, are not supporting my body. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I had to re- reevaluate. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where it's like, oh, okay, what, what do I want to be able to do? Like, right, right. What is important to me? And, mm-hmm. and at that point, uh, it became so important to me to be able to move without restriction, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was my whole, whole focus. Um, and so, you know, as I was in Fort Worth at the time, I tore my meniscus. And so that's why I moved down to Austin to, uh, for functional patterns because of the functional patterns, Texas gym there. Um, wow because I saw these results that they were putting out in in this time, I was a certified personal trainer. I was, I was certified in multiple different methods. Like I thought I knew what I was doing. Yeah. And and I wasn't, I clearly like wasn't listening to my body enough. And, you know, I, and again, I, I I got hurt. And so there's this whole process of rebuilding. Mm -hmm. um, And, and again, focusing on the things that that allow me to live my life Mm -hmm. and, and live the life that I want. Um, and so, I mean, for me, it was, I, I had to just have this, I mean, it was this, this big, this injury was like this big mirror. Cause also, I mean, I was, what, I think it was 25 whenever I tore my meniscus and I had had bad knee pain my whole life. And I was like, is this it? Like, can I just like never do like the active things I love to do? And, and I'm an active person. Like, that's just what I, I love to be outside and to, to go, you know, play sports with friends. And I just thought like, is it just like over? I thought, I thought like, is it just done for me? Um, and, and I saw that these, these results of people not moving well and then being able to sprint. I was like, okay, if I can sprint, that means I can do, right. That, that I, if I can do that, that means I have so much capability to do whatever else that I want to do. Um, and so, yeah. And then the, the second piece that's really interesting as well is you know, you're, you're talking about your experience. You wanted to take up less space, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what I found is in part of my training is like the psychology of the position. So um, the psychology of your body. So it's like, it's like body language, uh, but then you can, you can train or you can train your body to, to be more confident, to have a, you know, if you uh, improve your posture, yeah. your body will naturally be more confident and you will be more confident. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, you know, if, so, so <laughs> there's all these things that are stored in the body, right. In the way that the body operates. And so I, um, had a very traumatic experience where I was basically 
playing small where I was being small. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like crouching and hiding and trying not to be seen. And a lot of that ended up being stored in my, in my spine, in, in the, the curve of my spine, in my, my kyphalodosis. And so realizing that like part of my journey as well has been to relearn how to occupy space mm. and relearn how to take, you know, take up the space mm. that my body like d- deserves really. Exactly. You deserve to own the space that you take up and not take up less of it. Like I, I think how you've just worded it was quite beautiful and quite perfect. Um, you know, you were talking about this idea of asking ourselves why, and I feel again, that's just an expression or rather kind of like another uh, instance in which we're both asking ourselves the same thing using different language mm-hmm. or even prioritizing the same thing using different language. So at kind of the start of our conversation, I had shared that feeling creative mm-hmm. has been my foundation. And when we ask ourselves why we're allowing our thoughts to be creative, we're digging deeper. Um, we're really kind of unpacking a lot of thoughts that are there um, that are kind of kept beneath us that we're not aware or in tune with necessarily. And I was actually just on a FaceTime call with my dad and my sister who both don't live in Austin. My dad lives in Chicago. My sister lives in Colorado. And so aligning times are very challenging, but we were able to do it yesterday for about two hours. And they were um, asking me about kind of my, my new path with my career and my new passions as they're evolving. And my dad had asked me like, Sam, can you identify the one moment you started to think about your body and your weight and Mm. kind of wanting to take up that less space because Mm. to provide a little context and a little bit of a backstory for 12 years of my life, I was a competitive rhythmic gymnast. I was on our national team when I was 13 years old. Um, I also was instructed to step on a scale for the first time when I was eight Mm. and so much of the expectation for that sport a little bit different than artistic gymnastics, where it's a lot about must like feel it being very muscular. This sport is about being very long and very thin. Um, two things of which I'm not one, I will never be, even if I try, because I cannot alter the fact I'm five foot two, but what I could start changing was the size of my body. Um, and I'm reflecting on this. And I said to my dad, you know, it's interesting because this experience, I can't pin on one moment. It's kind of this culmination of many things though. What I'm learning is that not only was this an expectation that was set in the gym, but it was also, and I'm not judging you, dad. Like, I love you. I'm not upset with you as I'm feeling creative in my thought and asking myself why this is what's coming up for me is that so much of my self-worth has been defined by my body. Mm. And the reason being, I mean, I started losing weight when I was like 10 or 11 years old, I got higher scores. My coaches wanted to train more with me. This is this positive reinforcement that was mm-hmm. continuing to fuel this very disordered eating and relationship with food in my body. Um, it also existed at home where I can recall, um, two different times specifically, though there's 
plenty, but like very vividly. Um, there was one moment I would growing up, I would only shower in my parents' bathroom. I would never go in mine. I loved their shower. And I was walking into my parents' room and I had my towel just like kind of wrapped around my body under my armpits. And my mom asked me to like come closer to her and she held my shoulders and she brought me like from behind. She, um, had her hands on my shoulders and she was standing behind me and we're standing in front of a full length mirror. And she's like, do you see where the bones are right here? Pointing at the top of your shoulders. Like, that's how I know you're eating well, like good job. And I can reflect on that now that my mom was just doing the best she could with the tools that she had to support my growth in gymnastics. Mm. Um, she was not in tune with how damaging that is, you know, and my parents, they are, were very supportive growing up. But what I can recognize now is that maybe physically their presence was there or, you know, financially they were able to support me in that way. But emotionally, I really don't know if I felt, um, kind of this desire for them to get to know me beyond just like, mm -hmm. like within. Right. Right. And I noticed that I was just really receiving this like love and support and attention based on my body shrinking. And so mm that was validation for me. And then another moment I was on a cruise with my dad and the same situation. It's always when I'm in a towel, um, but I'm about to take a shower. And my dad had like looked at my triceps, like as they're kind of pressed against our body, when our arms are pressed against our body, Scott, like things flatten out as they should, because it's just our body existing in space. We're owning that space. We don't have to constantly be sucking in every moment though. I've also recognized that I'm constantly sucking in because of 12 years of gymnastics being told to. So I intentionally throughout the day, like relax, real noticing that I have this like dancer kind of physique when I'm not even trying, cause it's so mm. ingrained in my psyche. And I'm now 28 years old. I stopped gymnastics. Like when I was 14, 15, and I'm still carrying this with me. Um, but my dad mentioned the thing about my arms, my triceps. He's like, your arms look so good when they're down. And my dad and I had a very textured relationship when I was, um, coming out of being a teenager and for, for many other reasons though, he's like one of my best friends today. So we've definitely healed. But at that time, my dad and I didn't have a close relationship, a close connection. I did not receive or feel that I was receiving any bit of his attention whatsoever, but that moment. I had his attention and I had this validation. And so I'm recognizing now that these little moments that, you know, my, when I mentioned this to my dad, he was like, oh my gosh, I remember that. But up until that point, that was never a thought that crossed his mind, but it was a thought that lived in the back of my mind. That was mm. this foundation for every choice. But because I had not felt creative or curious with my thoughts as to why I had never kind of connected these dots thinking like, where where does this come from? Is this the truth? Is this fact? Or is this something that I've, you know, told myself to believe, you know, it's, it's just quite fascinating when we open up our minds and allow this like expansion of growth, um, to kind of unpack our why to see, Hey, does this why serve me today or does it not? And if it doesn't, what choices can I make that better align with that? Um, yeah that's that on that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, but I hear you, you know, these, these moments, right. I mean, you have, you have some of the distinct ones. And so a lot of times it isn't just one, 
though mm-hmm. you'll, you know you'll have the ones that stick out mm-hmm. and like you said they, they can just live back there and really influence you especially when you're a kid right i mean you're super super influential and whenever you get attention from your parents mm-hmm. like it doesn't really you know whatever direction the attention is like that's the attention is love and so mm-hmm. whenever like hey they're giving you attention showing you pointing your collarbones you know on top of your shoulders like saying hey when you can see this like that's good and give me that attention like oh like right seeing my collarbones is love like from my and, parents and then that's that then becomes the your reality mm-hmm. yeah. right that then becomes how you see the world like that's the lens that you get put in front of your face for the rest of your life and um you know, you had mentioned, um, this thought, like it's in the back of your head, right. It might not be the forefront, but it's like the foundation of where all of our other experiences of from life, like how we interpret them and what I'm learning throughout my healing process and what I teach my clients and my guests as well is that reflecting on this, why, or feeling creative in our thought and asking ourselves what our intention is it would serve us to come through a lens of curiosity and not judgment Hmm. because we begin to judge ourselves. We start to feel guilt and shame about that. And that's not going to be a clear and connected way to create enough distance and space to say, okay, like what can I then choose now that's going to serve me? And so when I, because these disordered eating thoughts, I have fully accepted, they are going to be in in my head for very well, like the rest of my life Mm. though, there becomes this difference. And I was actually sharing this with a friend today and it was unrelated to disordered eating thoughts. This was actually just a bad thought she was having. And I said, any thought that we have, like we are allowed to have thoughts. We should not feel shame or guilt surrounding these thoughts. I imagine having thoughts is like walking through an art gallery and you see one piece of art Maybe it makes you feel upset. Maybe it makes you feel a certain kind of way. No one's telling you, you have to buy that art off the wall and hang it in your home and claim it as yours, right? You can just say, all right, I noticed this and move on to the next one. And you see the next piece of art. And then you keep moving on to the next piece of art. And maybe the entire gallery is filled with art that fucking sucks. Excuse me. I I hope I can swear. You can say whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe it's just art that like you feel is ugly. That doesn't resonate with you. You don't get it, but we don't have to take that on in any personal form. We can just say, all right, I'm going to step out of this building and I'm going to move on to the next art gallery. Or, you know, I, when I was sharing this with my friend, she loves candles. She loves flowers. So I caught myself mentioning this art gallery, but then I'm like, wait, this can apply to anything. When you go to the store and you're looking for candles, you're smelling out which one you want. You don't pick up a candle and you're like, oh my God, I hate this candle. I'm judging myself now because I'm holding, no, just put the candle back, move on to the next one. And Mm -hmm. viewing thoughts and experiences that way, just kind of passing through, coming and going, I feel has been a really tremendous way to recognize what's happened in the past by asking ourselves why and feeling curious and creative in that thought and creating enough space to evolve from that and grow from that, um, to towards something that ultimately does serve us. Yeah. I I really like that analogy. It's, you know, if you, you know, learn about meditation, a lot of times what they'll say is, you know, you'll see 
um, you know, you know, observe, observe your thoughts or see them as bubbles or balloons and they're, they're you know, they're, they're there and you can, right. You can look at them. Uh, and if they're like bubbles or balloons, you can, you kind of pop them and say, all right, just pop that one. Just, you know, kind of move it mm -hmm. on out of the way. Um, and then I, I really like, I really like analogies or things that are right, grounded in things that we do, right. Like understand, Hey, you're like, you're already doing this thing, right. It, you know, you're already going and and ob observing and seeing these different things and making choices and, and having reactions and feelings to, to the things that you see. And so like, like this isn't different, like there there's, isn't this separateness, right. Between how, how you're operating here and then what's going on in your head. And you know, what I tell clients about my kind of guidance as an intuitive eating coach, I'm not giving you any information you don't already know. I am helping you kind of wipe the fog on the internal mirror within so you can see more clearly through what serves you. Because just as you said, everything in in these different circumstances are relatable to a degree. Like I'm giving advice that I've given myself for disordered eating to a friend who was just having a, a bad thought about um, something stressful at work they don't have anything to do with each other, but they have everything to do with each other right. at the same time, which I find to be quite beautiful and also quite simple. Mm -hmm. And it just as a reminder that life kind of comes and goes with challenges and stressors, but at the core, once we learn how to ask ourselves from within kind of what our intention is for, you know, walking this path or choosing different, um, ways to navigate challenging situations. Like it's very, it can be very simple. If we choose to see it that way, it can be just very simple, as simple as just smelling candles in a target, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So I'm going to, I'd like to ask a couple of questions about intuitive eating now and kind of how you describe it or, or what you suggest or kind of some exercises. So like whenever, what I think about intuitive eating, if I was, yeah. if I was going to maybe try to define it, it is almost, it's like learning to, to trust, to listen to and trust the sensations of your body to make the decisions for you mm -hmm. as opposed to, and, and also not, like not needing to be perfect, not having to like rationalize and think everything through. So 100%. I mean, I'm, I think I just interrupted a thought of yours. <laughs> That, that was, that was basically, it. I was just, I was just trying to you know, keep it, keep it uh, shorter, a little, little concise there. Really included probably one of the most important parts that I neglect to introduce intuitive eating with the first time I do talk about it, which is it is process thinking it's not linear. And so when something is linear, there's this pass or fail mentality, like most diets, a lot within diet culture, it's you do this and it's only this. And if you fall off the track, like you failed. Right. And what's so interesting about like the dieting industry is that like, it's a billion dollar business. It's a business. Right. You're not supposed to succeed. And when we fail, we blame ourselves, which is insane because if we're driving a car and the car breaks down, we don't blame ourselves. We call up the shop and we get the car fixed. Right. And so right. what is fixing is diet culture, not us. And the most important part about intuitive eating um, is truthfully this idea of 
practice. And I had taken a note down when you were talking about training, that what you're doing now, it's about training. It's about developing skills, like learning how to ride a bike, learning a new language, learning a new sport. The first time somebody starts to look inward and not rely externally on what we learn from diet culture, what we see on social media, what we hear from our parents or peers or coaches. Um, the first time we do it, it will feel uncomfortable. It won't probably feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel really unnatural. The second time we tap into it, it's still going to feel uncomfortable. The third time, probably still uncomfortable. And then maybe the fourth time, a little bit less uncomfortable. And then the fifth time, maybe a little bit more comfortable until it starts to become more of your natural way of thought. Mm. Like part of intuitive eating is turning off autopilot. But then what becomes so beautiful is that your baseline autopilot can start to become intuitive eating because we're training and we're practicing. Um, I think you've, I feel that you've really described intuitive eating so beautifully. And if I can even just add a little, like just the tiniest little sprinkle on top of what you've described, um, it's really tuning into this idea of interoceptive awareness. And for many people, they are unaware of this definition. I was unaware of it. The second I picked up the book and started kind of learning and going through my program, I had no idea what it meant. But after learning, we practice it every day and we're not aware of it. And interoceptive awareness is tuning into your body's sensations and responding in a way that will ultimately serve you. So like, what is an example? Um, have you ever had the feeling of a full bladder that you need to go to the bathroom? Yeah. That's tuning into your interoceptive awareness. You feel that sensation, you relieve that. Maybe some of us can feel our heart beating, right? The experience of feeling hunger, of feeling fullness. We know how to do that, but we haven't trained ourselves or had so much exposure living in a world where there's new flashy, fun things, just like movement and exercise and binge watching shows, um, the next new diet, the next new way to eat. This is what you should eat. This is how much you should eat of it. And this is, you know, when you should eat it, where our hunger and fullness meter is broken at that point. But what's so beautiful is it's not not able to be repaired. And the part of intuitive eating and the practice of intuitive eating are learning how to take that moment of pause because you can't initially be on autopilot um, and ask yourself, okay, like, for example, I'll kind of lead you through what I would do before I feel that it's time to eat. I'm not like looking at a clock before what it's like seven, 10 right now. I used to have a hard rule. I wouldn't eat after six, but the longer mm. that we restrict something, we start to kind of over obsess over it. We'll kind of give in and then we feel guilt and shame about it. And so, as you've mentioned about intuitive eating, there really is no pass or fail. It's all like a learning opportunity, embracing moments and expecting moments in which we engage in an activity, a thought, or like a behavior that can feel at first very deconstructive, but taking that moment afterwards to say, okay, what emotion was I feeling in this moment? Um, how can I learn and grow from this? So I have two things to share and please remind me if I get off track. One, I'm going to start off introducing like a kind of like an assessment that I would do on myself and then two, um, primary food. 
you can give me that keyword of primary food, I want to talk about that. I got you. So, um, the first thing that I'll do is just, I'll take like a little body scan, meaning I'll start like kind of at the crown of my head, notice like how I'm feeling all the way down my neck, through my shoulders, um, kind of down into my belly, my legs, my knees, my feet. And if I can describe how I'm feeling in this moment as pleasant, um, unpleasant or neutral, if I can't really identify with one, like what is the closest, right? If I'm feeling overall unpleasant, I'm going to ask myself why, like, is my energy starting to kind of fall short? Um, do I notice that my tummy is growling? Um, do I feel like my mood is a little bit irritable? Like all of these different signs are various signs that demonstrate hunger, right? If I'm feeling pleasant, like maybe that means that I recently ate something and that was a meal that provided a lot of staying power, meaning that it was fulfilling, um, or my neutral, I'm just doing fine. Right. So if like right now I can say that I'm neutral, but starting to feel a little unpleasant. And so I can imagine that after, you know, this beautiful conversation, I'm going to make something to eat because I'm anticipating that to happen. I'm kind of noticing that. And then if I can imagine afterwards, like this spectrum from zero to 10, and I say spectrum because we're allowed to be on any point of this spectrum. One number doesn't make us inherently bad or good. Um, but zero would represent like painfully hungry and 10 would represent painfully full. And what I'm learning and what we can learn collectively is that it's not pleasant to be at painfully hungry when we wait kind of like almost this idea of like feeling that we have accomplished something or we've achieved something. If we've been ignoring our hunger all day, Mm -hmm. um, I very commonly see that and I've very commonly experienced that myself when we're at a zero, it's almost like, imagine pulling a arrow back, like a bow and arrow, the longer that you pull that back, the longer Mm. that you pull that back, you're going to let it go. It's going to shoot all the way over to 10. Real quick, I think that I would also say that goes for the restriction, right? If you restrict so hard, if you pull that arrow back, because I've definitely done that, and then I've been restricting something, and then I pull the arrow back so far, and it builds this this like you know, pendulum, pull it so far to one side, when it drops, lets go, it swings, and I just will binge like crazy. Absolutely, so I, right? I think like that's another application. Just thinking of like pulling the arrow back. Absolutely, I think that's you know really beautifully said as well, and like so much of like honoring our hunger is eating at like a gentle hunger Mm. because if what a gentle hunger could represent on the spectrum is maybe somewhere around three or four and what it takes me to arrive at maybe like a neutral five, six or seven, like a, you know, a comfortable fullness. If you and I sat down for lunch together, what you would eat and what I would eat could look totally different, but we can still arrive at the same number and accepting the fact that Maybe even on that day, then in a week when Scott does this again, maybe you eat a little bit less or a little bit more, but you still arrive at a seven and recognizing and noticing and like truly embracing the fact that we are evolving and changing and our needs differ every day, depending on our mood, depending on our activity and having the self-compassion to embrace that and not keep such a rigid schedule. Mm. Um, when you know, we're waiting at a zero, we then become, we're animals, mm-hmm. right? We eat in this very animalistic, rushed, fast paced, like famished mode where we can't experience the true sensations of food, um, which is probably one of the ways in which I feel fulfilled and motivated to be surrounded by food the most. Um, in 2016, I went to France for a cooking program. And I can tell you, I was anxious as all hell 
because I didn't know how I was going to work out. I didn't know Mm. what I was going to eat, but I was having my first opportunity for to engage and learn in a new culture with new cuisine. And one of a dear friend of mine, her name is Rachel. I met her on this program. She lives in Canada. And for my birthday, we were in Italy and she bought me this beautiful plate of fettuccine with seafood. And it looked so good, heavily still glued to my food rolls. I had like a slight panic attack and I didn't Mm. eat it. I didn't touch it because at that, that point, everything was about abiding by the food rules that I created. Right. So, so much of what is motivating me today is actually a lot of it is stemmed from that experience. Um, just this past week I was in Las Vegas and Rachel have not seen her in six years. She was going to Vegas for, um, a food expo for her job. So she goes, meet me there. So I attended, I saw her for the first time in six years And it was our goal not to, you know, go out and party and like club and all this stuff, but it was our goal to purely sit down and enjoy a meal together while experiencing all of the sensory qualities. And what I love so much about our friendship is she knew that I was damaged then and needed healing, but she did not judge me. She was there to support. She understood all these things. So we had an opportunity to go to this Italian restaurant and it was like this seven course meal. We had no control over the menu old Sammy would be like freaking out. New Sammy is feeling excited that this is like an adventure. Mm. I can feel curious and creative with what I am experiencing in this moment. And one of the dishes come out and I kid you not, it was this beautiful plate of fettuccine pasta with seafood. And she and I were looking at each other practically in tears. Mm. And together we enjoyed and almost like redefined that experience then six years later, um, which is quite beautiful because playing a part of or participating in the eating experience beyond just it being a number to fulfill the amount of calories or macronutrients, but truly unpacking all of these sensations, the textures, the aromas, the temperature of the food, the flavor of the food, how are we eating it? What utensils are we using? And really having conversations over this is a lot of really helpful tools to use to cultivate your inner intuitive eater. And, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's time for you to remind you about primary foods. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and that's actually a great tra- transition because I'm going to actually turn this over to you as a question. Okay. How would you define primary food? Maybe this is a term you are unfamiliar with. Maybe you are familiar. How would you define it? Yeah. Uh, so I'm not familiar with it. So mm-hmm. to me, what it makes me think it's like the it's like the the main sustenance in a meal give me an example so um if i'm having like you know making hamburgers and having side of like sweet potato fries things like that like to me like the primary food is you could you could say like the hamburger itself or even just like the um ground beef patty and for me is and maybe maybe this is where it's at like that's what i'm seeking right like that's the part of it that that i want so maybe that's it's what's on it's like my radar is like that's really out of all of this kind of what i'm trying to get so that that's what i think of whenever i hear primary food yeah i i really um i value your perspective and i would ask you to consider expanding your mind 
to view primary food in a totally different lens. Okay. And so primary food are different areas in our life that require nourishment that have nothing to do with food. And I know that that is a trick question, right? You put, yeah, yeah. Set the grass up perfectly. You got me. You got me. So um, what this can look like could be our career or relationships, um, intimacy. It could be um, home improvement, joy, movement, and a whole bunch of other things. It's not limited to these things. But the reason I mention that is, you know, our bodies want this idea of homeobalance or homeostasis. And if we are lacking in any one of these areas, we tend to gravitate and start to locate ways that are quick, convenient, accessible to start mm-hmm. filling in those gaps. And that tends to be food, right? Yeah. And so the question becomes, what do you value? Are there areas of your life that require nourishment that have nothing to do with food that you feel are currently underwatered or undernourished in this moment? Um, like for example, my first time in France, like pure joy, healthy relationship with movement, social life, like connection, relationships. These were all areas of my life that were severely undernourished. And so going to food to be able to kind of like control that or put a hundred percent of my energy into that one thing, I was missing out on all these different experiences. Mm. Fast forward six years, my primary food today, and we're not glued or married to any one area of primary food. It can completely evolve and change with each moment. We ask ourselves that much like the question, how do you feel fulfilled or how do you feel motivated? It can change on a moment to moment basis though. Today, what I value is connection. What I value is experience adventure, right? All of these different things that I was able to sit down with that plate of pasta and be present and enjoy and not feel any guilt or shame because I'm not restricting that because fulfillment exists beyond the plate itself. Um, it's not just about the food. It's about the company that you keep, the people that you are with, you know, kind of keeping on the back burner, this idea of honoring your health with this idea of gentle nutrition, you know, yes. Focusing on foods that are nutritionally dense though, with a foundation of all foods can be morally, um, or emotionally equivalent, even if they're not nutritionally equivalent and, so many of us don't see food that way. We see food as so black and white as good or bad or healthy or unhealthy. Um, though I've learned through my own therapy and my own work that when I have felt guilty after an eating experience, it wasn't really about the food that I was eating. It was my behavior surrounding Mm. the food that I was eating. So, you know, yesterday I made banana bread. I had a slice of banana bread and I sat there and I enjoyed it. I wasn't distracted by anything else. I actually, uh, I guess a solution or a tip, I guess I would offer is um, I listen to this mindful eating music playlist on Spotify. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're already on Spotify or any other streaming platform, just look up mindful eating music. And why I love it so much is there are no lyrics. There's no beat. It's not fast paced. We're not trying to eat and kind of keep up with, the pace of the music. It's just a very kind of Zen and relaxed sound that, um, doesn't, I, cause I feel like, you know, when a song passes, you can tell like that's a two minute song mm-hmm. or like, the beat is really strong. Like I can't do you watch, um, euphoria by chance. Have you seen it? So Carrie has. Um, okay. and so I watched like half of an episode with her uh, one night. 
Okay. This isn't going to ruin anything for you. This isn't going to ruin anything for any listeners, but there is an episode in the second um, season where the main character is running for the full 50 something minutes of the show. And you can imagine it's a very heightened, stressful moment. And like the beat is like super, super fast. And I share this because I had a client of mine and she gave me permission to share this story um, who had mentioned to me, she was eating a bag of chips and the first 15 minutes of the show, the entire bag was gone. And we were asking we're exploring this through a lens of curiosity. We weren't judging this, right? We're thinking like, why? Like what, what were the behaviors surrounding this? Well, not feeling connected to that eating experience, you know, your hands reaching into this deep, dark hole. And then you don't have this like clarity or connection until you reach the bottom of the bag. And you're like, oh shit, like, where was I mm-hmm. throughout that whole experience? And so like, we're allowed to eat the whole bag if that is what we can do and feel connected to that whole process. Um, many times we might may realize that if we open up that whole bag and we pour it out into a bowl, we have this visual representation. We're connected. We're there. We're not distracted by the fast beat of the music or the stressful situation in the show that we're watching. Maybe like just a couple of chips will feel good to eat because as we continue to eat, the pleasantness of the food starts to decrease and we're very not in tune with that. Because it's there, we think we have to eat the whole thing or we're distracted and not realizing that we're finishing the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, something I have to remind myself is just because it's there, I don't have to finish it. Also, if it's there, I'm also allowed to finish it. Just right. giving yourself permission to do whatever it is that you want to do while feeling connected to that experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's definitely... I mean, something that I, I do, you know, I'll eat some, some chips or some ice cream, like watching, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a show and, you know, it will, it, it can create a mm-hmm. disconnect, right. Between the experience of the eating and then, right. Like, cause my attention is, is somewhere else, right. My attention isn't so much on what it is that, that I am doing and the sensations mm-hmm. that are going on inside my body. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's definitely an area I know uh, where I, I will like disconnect sometimes from. And, you know, when I share this piece, I always, I'm very intentional about saying, you know, not to, it, again, it's not pass or fail. It's not don't eat in front of the TV, right? right. Because then there will be moments where the TV is on and we're going to feel guilty or ashamed that we did. Rather, I pose the question, I encourage you to ask yourself, how connected can, do you feel you can be with this experience? of eating when something is distracting you, maybe you can do it. Maybe you feel connected. Right. Teach me like (laughs) that's great. Um, Really ultimately at the end of the day, what this conversation is dedicated towards is taking a moment to ask, what is your intention? Mm -hmm. Is your intention to eat just because it tastes good? Cause awesome. Is your intention to eat because you feel hunger? awesome. Is your intention to eat because an upsetting emotion is kind of running through you right now? Let's hit the brakes for a second. Is engaging in this choice of food going to fix or heal the emotion that you're experiencing? Um, If not, let's look at your primary food. What areas of your life require nourishment that we're not nourishing right now? And let's put our focus into that. And the first time we practice that, it's hard as shit. 
because yeah. it's familiar. We don't know how to do it. We know how to open up a bag of chips. We know how to sit on the couch and we know how to, to numb out. We know how mm-hmm. to do that. We feel comfortable with that. Um, but the more we practice, the more in tune we get. And what becomes really interesting is that going from somebody who are going from a person who has so heavily restricted food to this space here, the only way you can practice is if you eat, like you have to eat, <laughs> you know, like it's, right. You have to eat because you have to start to learn how your body responds to eating a certain quantity or a certain thing and allowing all food to be eaten with permission to really absolve yourself of guilt and shame. Like when I started my own um, therapy, I really didn't put any food off limits that included maybe more of like the sugary and sweet snacks. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't feel physically, I didn't feel good. And I learned in that moment, eating that much of this kind of thing in this type of setting does not make me feel my best. And that is part of intuitive eating is checking in and identifying how did that make me feel? Why did I reach for it? What am I looking to fulfill? Taste, emotion, hunger, avoid, you know, these, these kinds of things. And there's no right or wrong answer. There's no judgment surrounding it, but it's simply just feeling curious. Yeah. No, for sure. I think, I think that's the, the really big piece, right? Just checking in and noticing. And then, you know, it's, hey, you can make the decision. And so you bring some awareness to it. Um, and and again, hey, it's a lot of times it's not the food, right? It is, it is these other aspects, other areas of your life. I mean, I know for me, times whenever I've um, been binging ice creams, ice cream is my favorite thing to binge, by the way, just uh you know, putting that out there. If you know me, you, you, you probably know that. Um, your favorite flavor? Honestly, like a, a good vanilla bean, just like a classic. Um, cool. Though uh, at one point, whenever I was at a like, super, super low, I was, uh, also, I also gained, I've always been super skinny, but I ended up gaining like 50 pounds while I was in Olympic lifting. Um, I was eating like half a tub of Bluebell cookie two-step Um every night that was I was a, a huge numbing thing like just not in a in a good place and um I was definitely definitely numbing with that with that um so it's it's part of part of my thing and so it's it's been a, I mean a shift for me um you know again just become being more in tune with my body it, it like becomes a bit more natural and then even as I've I have healed so many other things and um in my life and in relationships then I've noticed it's become like easier to be intentional with my eating because mm-hmm. I'm not, as, I'm not as stressed out. I'm not as, um, hurt. Right. I'm not, I'm not. Life so doesn't many, feel so narrow anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, and it definitely food is that one thing like it's there and it's, it's very easy to come to. And, and, um, especially, you know, here in America, like it's so available, right. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, I, I'm uncomfortable. Well, what would be comfortable right now is if I just eat so much food, my belly is so full, I just have to like, oh, I just like can't, you know, really feel anything else because I've just like saturated myself yeah. with, with the food. And I wonder what it would look like to saturate yourself with areas of your life that don't have anything to do with food and how that would make you feel like, you know, having an argument with a partner or a friend can sometimes leave me feeling empty and in search of comfort and Mm. security. And so when I reach for something, knowing that I'm looking for 
that companionship and comfort and that kind of idea of like a warm blanket mm-hmm. around my body. I can pause and ask myself, what's going to, what can I choose to partake in or put my energy towards that will ultimately leave me feeling fulfilled and free after. And so I look over at my dog that's typically watching me just binge and like numb away at food. And I'm like, I could have just like snuggled with my dog. I could have Mm -hmm. taken for a walk, played fetch with him, like help him feel a fulfilling life too. You know, I just, I wonder, I'm looking at him right now. I'm like wondering, you know, in those moments where I felt really low, your tail's wagging, (laughs) those moments where I felt really low, like, you know, what would he say if he could talk? Mm. Mom, play with me. Mom, like, give me attention. Like, I want to give you attention, you know? Mm. He's calling at me to try to, like, interact with me, but I'm, like, shoving his paw away because my hand has a spoon in it. There there he is. He's trying (laughs) to do it. He's like, Mom, I'm hungry. Um, Yeah, but it's redirecting our focus towards things that provide us that saturated fulfillment in a way that does serve us, not in a way that inhibits us from feeling more connected with ourselves you know yeah that's, that's beautiful um all right, i think we should go ahead and wrap up I feel like we could just keep on keep on going for for hours uh so just final question um what message do you want to share with people that there is a difference between feeling full and feeling fulfilled perfect and that can look different for everybody and so embrace and ask yourself why and what your fulfillment can look like and you'll feel it. All right. In parting, this is Scott Martell-Smith and Sam Sam Blumenthal uh, telling you to look at areas of your life where you are seeking fulfillment instead of just seeking to be full. Mm